this is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Open in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want to talk to you about first things first, putting first things first. You know, when uh, people get to the professional level, not, not even then, a lot of them don't wait till then, but when, oftentimes athletes, when they're competing and they're on a winning streak, they start to kind of get superstitious about some things. Like some people will feel like, no, I always put my left sock on first before my right sock. This is a true, true thing, true thing. Not, I'm not making this, this up or exaggerating. Like I have to put my, shoe, my socks and shoes on in this order because I'm on a winning streak. And I, think, I feel like if I break the order, then I might mess up my streak. That's a true thing like, that people feel that way. I don't think it really has anything to do with anything other than mental, but there's people who have the sequence uh, that they follow because they feel like it leads to certain results. If you, uh, if you do a little study or you read at all, you'll find out like there's a lot of people who research the morning rituals of super successful people, CEOs or business leaders, entrepreneurs, and people that you hear about uh, you know, uh, that are very successful, and they oftentimes have morning rituals, things that they do first. So some of them, I mean, they they might vary in what they do, but some of them like, in this order, I do this. I get up and I splash my face with cold water three times, and then I go, you know, make, uh, pour my kombucha into my, you know, little cup here. No, those are the millennial successfuls. And then... um, and then they go and they'll, they'll, they'll pray, they meditate, they do three, you know, 30 one-handed push-ups or whatever they do. They do all this stuff in, in a certain sequence and an order, and it just helps them prepare and get themselves in a, you know, mentally uh, positioned for their day. And so they're just thinking straight and, and so forth. And, and I appreciate all of that, and I think that there's a lot of value to having a consistent morning ritual. And I think that really what it does is it just shows us that we have an understanding that there is a sequence, there's a sequence of, uh, or an order in life to get the results that you want. And this isn't just something that is out there in the self-help books. This is in the, the best help book. And this comes from, from God when, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse thir- starting at verse 31, in fact, let's all read it from the screen out loud and loudly together. He says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He says, seek first. Don't worry, saying. How do you know if you're worried? Typically, your words will, will say it. Man, I'm just worried that this is going to happen. I'm worried that that's not going to happen. You know what bothers me right now? Or I don't know if. He's, he's identifying this. He's saying, when we're worried, we speak things out. And instead of worrying and speaking about your worries, you need to do something in place of that. And Jesus says, before you do anything else, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you would typically worry about, those things will be added to you. And he identifies, you know, it's like, don't worry about what are you going to eat and what are you going to drink. He's not saying that, that your heavenly father doesn't think those are important or that you don't really need those things. All you need is Jesus. 
all you need is God. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, you need to put some clothes on, and you need to eat, and you need, you know, you need to drink water. He knows you need all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, and he knows exactly how to get them to you. He knows exactly what you need, and he knows how to get it to you. The way to receive what God has for us requires us to stay on track, on the track that he has set out. And that track, he just laid it out there when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't go after all these things. Seek first. Well, putting God first is part of the sequence on that, that lock that unlocks that God-given potential on the inside of you and everything that God has for you. It starts with seeking him first. Uh, you ever see an electric train? See an electric, now we know there's gas power, there's coal power, there's steam power, there's magnetic or whatever. An electric train, I got a picture of one for you here. Uh, an example, the electric train, it's powered by, you see the cables running across the electric wires. And you have that little thing that some of you electrical engineers would know what it's called. I just call it like a broom that it's not really that, but it's, it's touching those wires. And as long as it's touching the wires, the train will have power to get down the tracks. It'll have the ability to get to its destination. It's not creating its own power. It's receiving power from up above. And as long as it's reaching out above and it stays on the tracks, it'll continue to receive the power. But if for, for, for just a moment it gets off those tracks, it gets off track, it's going to be misaligned and not able to receive the power. So it won't go to its intended destination. And our lives are like that as well. We have to reach up above to tap into the power of God. If you want the power of God, the provision of God, the plan of God released in your life, the presence of God, you've got to uh, look up, right? You've got to reach up. You, you've got to... Tap into that, but the way you do it is by staying on tracks that he has laid out, because this is not where you go four-wheeling with God, and you think that I'm just going to be all over the place and do it my own way, and the Lord is just going to continually be there for me. You see, he's saying, seek first. He's giving a sequence, or he's laying down tracks so that you can stay in a position to receive. He said this to the, to the people right there, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So if you get off track, you might find that you're not in a position to receive. You're not in a place that they would be added to you. So Jesus is giving us this, uh, this direction here, and he's telling us, do this first. Now, let's look at uh, one way to seek him first. One way to seek him first is found in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. The word first will show up again. Mark 12, 28 through 31. One of the scribes, a scribe was a person, lawyers really, also responsible for copying the law and so forth, rewriting it. Uh, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Because you know the Bible has a lot of commandments, but he says, what's the first one? What's the very first commandment? And he's not really give, asking for an order which one was given first, but he's really saying, which one is, is first in priority? Which one is, do we honor above all others? It's chief, it's principal, it's first in rank. 
That's, that's what he's talking about first. It's that this Greek word protos. It, it's not just like, hey, what did God say in the very, very, very first time? But no, out of all the things he said, what's the main thing he said? What's the main commandment he gave? Now, you could think that one of the first ones, like a really important one, is don't go around killing people, right? Like that's a big, uh, important commandment. Really, first, you think that's pretty, don't commit adultery. That's important. Don't lie, don't steal. Those are other important ones. Even don't have any other gods before me. That's an important one, right? That's a, that, you think that, that's first. Uh, listen to what Jesus' response was, though. Then Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment more important than any other commandment, at a higher rank, with a greater priority, the chief, the principal commandment that came from God is not even have no other gods before me. The very, the, the, at the very core, the deepest, the most important, if you get any commandment from God, get this one, it's to love the Lord with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your soul, and with your strength. So the second one, is like, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It's really interesting that Jesus says that. He says this is the greatest commandment because it's not about just simply going and doing something, but he really directs it to the heart. And, and I think about this with, because this is the foundation upon which our entire relationship with God is built. It's love. It's love for him. Any obedience that we might... Uh, have, you know, with, with the Lord, how any, any way that we might follow him, it has to be based out of or built or, or founded on a love for the Lord. Because if it's on anything less, then it becomes religion. And, and uh, Jesus said this, it's interesting, he said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I was at a marriage conference yesterday, and one of the things that they didn't tell us about how to have a happy relationship is to tell your wife, babe, if you love me, you better do what I say, <laughs> right? That, was, that is not good advice. That's not going to go over well. And, and yet somehow Jesus says something like that to us. And, and of course, he has the right to, he has the authority. He could say, if you love me, do a headstand 12 hours a day. And he's right, you know, but he doesn't say that. But he does say, if you love me, keep my commandments. How can you command love? How can you command love? If you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't it true that love is something that's freely given? But yet God knows this. He knows that if we are ever going to get positioned and stay in a position to walk with him, to fellowship with him, to receive from him, to access the power of God in our life, the provision, it's not going to be because we did all the right things. It's going to be, first of all, the main reason that we would do that is because I love you, Lord. I love you. And it's not because I'm afraid of you. I do fear the Lord. I fear because, and I don't mean I'm afraid like this, but I mean, I'm afraid that what he said is true. And if, if, if I disregard it, I'll experience the consequences uh, of either missing out or <laughs> other consequences of getting what I deserve. And I don't want that. But that's not the main motivation. The main motivation is 
God, you've done so much for me, and you're absolutely amazing, and I love you from in here. You see, there's some people who have a love for God, but they don't obey His commandments. There are other people who obey, but they don't really have a love for the Lord. And so when one of them, it's just this free, like, you know, I'm just spiritual, I love God, but he doesn't have any right to say anything to me, and it's all optional to me. Others are, you know, they're just do it, stick by the book, but man, there's no life of God on the inside of them. There's no love for the Lord. They're just walking in fear or trying to make other people, you know, impressed by their righteousness. We need both. We need to love the Lord with our whole heart. And we need to follow him. We need to obey him. But if you don't love him, you won't obey him. You'll only do it in front of others. You'll only do it just to, to appease others. We need both. This is how we align with God and we stay on track to receive from him. This is how we do it, is we, we put him first. We love him first. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen says, It shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. The Lord is saying this, I will provide for you. Just love me. Follow me. You see what's happening there? It's seeking him first. It's loving God first. And he's saying, as a result of that, all these things are being added to you. But it comes from a heart of love. Solomon loved the Lord. When you read the story about Solomon, King Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth ever, he became the wisest man by a gift from the Lord. But God gave him that gift of wisdom, not because... He was just in line on the throne, not just because he sacrificed, because when you look at what led up to his time of prayer, he went before the Lord and he's praying, and God said, ask me anything. And he said, I need wisdom. And God said, because you asked me this, that you need wisdom to to lead my people, I'm going to give you that and everything else. But when you look what happened before he prayed, he sacrificed over a thousand offerings to the Lord. Over a thousand of them. This must have took, taken days. But if you look at what, hap- what the scripture says before that, he didn't win God's favor because he made all these sacrifices. If you look in 1 Kings <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. And then you see everything else that follows as a result of that. Sometimes people think, they, I think they, they just... They have a hard time really loving God, and uh, they kind of know about God, and He's God, but to really love the Lord, they have a hard time loving God, and I think that's because we don't always understand the depth of our sin. Jesus was at a guy's house. He's called a Pharisee. Pharisees were really the righteous, righteous people. You know, they did everything by the book. And uh, somehow there was a sinful woman who came in and she wept at his feet and washed his feet and, and, and uh, dried his feet, washed his feet with their, like tears and dried them with their hair. And, and the Pharisee was like, oh man, you know, I can't believe he's letting this woman do this. Like, and 
Jesus turns to him and he says, he tells a story basically about someone who is forgiven a great debt and a, and a small debt. And he said, which one's going to love the master more who forgave the debt? Little debt or big debt? And the Pharisee said, well, of course, the one who was forgiven a large debt. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He said, that's why I'm telling you that her sins, her many sins have been forgiven, and her great love proves that. But whoever receives little forgiveness loves very little. What is he saying? This lady recognized the depth of her sin, and, that cause, and, and knowing that Jesus forgave her of that caused a great love in her. I think about this. Oftentimes, we think we're pretty good. We haven't maybe done the things we used to do, or maybe we haven't done the things that those people do. And so we come to God, and we're like, you're, ha- you're lucky to have me. <laughs> Aren't you happy, God? Look, look what you got right here. And uh, we know there's some things, and Lord, can you forgive those things? But even the, the slightest drop of sin in the ocean ruins the whole thing. And it costs Jesus his life, the price he willingly paid because of his love for us. But I think that sometimes we haven't come to grips with our own, really the, the impact and the consequences of our own sin and, and the price that Jesus paid. Because when we recognize that, and I, I don't think you should take the position from this point forward of walking around, oh no, I'm just a terrible sinner. If you've been forgiven, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. <laughs> you're like, uh, I don't my grandma was a saint, but I know he's not a saint. No, the Bible says this is how God looks at you because he, he looks at what Jesus has done. And so we don't say, oh, I'm, I'm just a sinner. If you're a sinner, get saved. But when you recognize the how vile, how, how deep, how ugly that sin was that he paid for on the cross and removed from you. And he offers this exchange and says, take my righteousness upon you. The righteousness of God, not in the book, on the Bible, but I mean in, in reality, not just good words, the righteousness of God he transfers to you. And he says, I will take all the ugliness of your sin upon myself. When we look at that deal, and then we start to think, well, let me check how much is in my sin account. (laughs) You know, you're like this, and I can't even see the top of that mountain. And yours is like that. You, good person. Yours is as bad as the worst person. And if you don't understand that, that you are as bad as the most despicable person in in the nature, the sin nature, not you as a person, but your sinful nature, that it is just the same, then you don't understand sin. And when we recognize that and we realize that, yeah, that was me, that's not a shame or a guilt. That's a, oh, Lord, take it all. Take it all. Every bit of it, take it all. And when we realize and when we look back and we, the account is clean. And there's not a thing he holds against us. Past, present, or future, he's not holding it against us. He paid it all. And we look back and we see, oh, my account says paid in full. That right there is what causes us to love God with all of our heart, 
with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. When we, when we think about the eternal consequences, when we think about even these temporal consequences that he saved us from, it causes a love in our heart for the Lord. That is what it means to love God first. When we recognize that, and when we can have a great love for the Lord. So we really can't move forward in all the things that we should do or need to know or grab a hold of or believe God for or activate this and that if the foundation for it isn't love for the Lord. That has got to be what motivates us. That's how we put first things first, is that we love the Lord our God first. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we, we are humbled by your offer of salvation and uh, Lord, everything that, that you've done for us has been out of your love for us, and we didn't deserve a bit of it. Would you just take a moment to direct your heart to the Lord, everybody? Maybe there's some things that you would think about, God. You've forgiven me of this. You've forgiven me of these actions I took, these words I spoke, things I've done, my attitudes, continued dishonor, disrespect, rebellion. You took all that and you took it to the cross willingly before I even asked. Lord, we receive that forgiveness. We receive that love. We receive the righteousness that belongs to you. We receive it. We, we thank you for it. In our hearts, God, we want to love you. And I pray for anybody who's even struggling with a desire for the Lord. Just pray to the Lord and say, God, I want to want you. And I want my heart to be warmed up towards you. The Lord knows all this anyways. But if there's a willingness, he can work with that. God, we do love you greatly. And I pray that everything, this congregation, these people, the rock, everyone hearing my voice, video, podcast, that we would, we would fall in love with you for the first time again in your precious name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone here who would say, I need to give my life to Jesus or maybe recommit my life to him, would you raise your hand? If there's anybody here at all who would say, I want to give my life to the Lord or recommit my life to Jesus. Jesus, we give you everything we are that belongs to you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. 